This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by George Smith. Hello, George. Sunday Hello, morning, morning we're recording instead of Sunday night, such as the yeah. Championship schedule. Yeah, and your and your work schedule and mine as well. Didn't quite have enough uh, time in the diary, did we, to cram it in on Sunday night? So it's a mo- Monday morning job for us. So it's going live a few hours later than than usual, but hopefully it'll be up by Monday lunchtime. So we're not too far behind schedule, but what a, what a weekend it was to kick things off. Absolutely, we couldn't have missed out on the hat trick of football that we got to sit down and watch. I certainly sat down and watched all three games on Sunday, which was. Lots of fun. I think that the Premier League should never come back and we should just get four televised games every weekend in the Championship. That would be great. I would very much enjoy that. What were your first or major impressions of opening weekend, George, without going into too many specifics? Well, there's certainly, you know, plenty of goals flying around, fair bit of drama, you know, a few results that we probably sort of foresaw that were going to come. Certainly one in particular that we'll have a little bit of a deep dive on. But, you know, teams that you'd expect... Getting decent results, one or two little shocks somewhere, but overall, you know, quite a good entertaining weekend. Some good football on show, some very good goals as well, it must be said. Some really nice goals on show and looking forward to reflecting on it over the next hour or so. What is your first thoughts? I was going to touch on this later in the podcast, but what did you think about the added time? Well... <laughs> Different. That's probably the right word. Different, definitely. Um, There's a lot of different views, isn't there? I know there is. Rafael, I can... not, not to stray too far from the Championship, but Rafael Varane's come out this morning and said that it's not great for player welfare. I see, sort of see that point of view, but it's absolutely scandalous how poor referees have been in terms of timekeeping over the last few years. It's got worse and worse, so something needed to be done. And if the players ultimately, and managers as well, this is not all on the players, they're often taking instruction, want the time to be reduced, the easy thing to do to a certain extent is stop wasting time. Obviously, that's not always part of it. Goal celebrations, substitutions, which are just natural parts of football, are contributing to the added time. But I think I read a stat that this weekend, George, across the AFL, there was only two matches that didn't go beyond 100 minutes. Yeah, kind of tell its own story then, doesn't it? I mean, we've seen, obviously, situations over the weekend where the added time, some of it's been like 12, 13 minutes at the, you know, at, at the end of the second half. And it's just, yeah, we are getting more football out of it and we are playing the the amount of time that we should do. But it's it's just not what we're used to. You know, we're used to a maximum of what usually, traditionally, four or five minutes maximum, you know, sometimes get eight or nine if there's been a serious injury. So, it's going to take time to adapt. Whether referees will become less strict on it as the season progresses and opens up a little bit further, we shall see. But obviously, we're not used to it. It's going to take a little bit of adjusting to. But personally, don't think I'm a fan of it. Particularly if you say one nil up or two one up, and you've got nine minutes of added on, you're going to be you're going to be panicking a little bit. If you're trailing, on the other hand, then you might enjoy it. But yeah, it's going to take some getting used to. I think first and foremost. But we'll see how it plays out. Will the referees off it? We'll see. Maybe. Maybe not. There were a few moments where, in a couple of the games, where there was a lot of stoppages in the stoppage time and they weren't added on to, which kind of makes a bit of a mockery of it, really. Because if you're going to add such lengthy amounts of stoppage time to keep the ball in play, then surely you need to add stoppages to the stoppages. But then we could still be playing today, if that was the uh, yeah, that was that the case. True. So, really good opening weekend. As always, a reminder to make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, 
Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. And a massive thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, make sure you visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. And over the next hour or so, we're going to be breaking down all the key moments from opening weekend. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. George, it was not the most easy decision to make when I was putting the running order of today's podcast. Do you go with the biggest scoreline? Do you go with maybe the more, most intriguing talking points? I've gone with the most intriguing, and we're going to start on Sunday at the King Power Stadium. Leicester City 2, Coventry City 1. What feels like a bit of a new dawn for both clubs, of course, Leicester coming down from the Championship, uh, Coventry post Giocares. And it was the Foxes that ran out winners, but it didn't look like that was going to be the case for the majority of the game. A quick-fire double from Keenum Dewsbury Hall in the 77th and 86th minute, getting the points for the Foxes. But that really doesn't tell the full story of what was a very tight East Midlands affair. Uh, it They didn't really get going in the first half, Leicester, I thought. They, they were very disjointed at times. Coventry looked very dangerous in transition whenever Leicester turned the ball over. Completely new shape and system from Leicester playing a, basically in possession, a 3-1-4-2, sorry, 3-5-1, with very much like the Man City mould with sort of flat back four in possession, uh, out of possession, sorry, with Ricardo Pereira at right back, Callum Doyle a centre-back at left back, and then very much Ricardo going into midfield very John Stones, Alapep Guardiola, with Callum Doyle tucking around to make a back three alongside Valtfass and Yannick Vestergaard. Um, and with Harry Winks as the deepest midfielder, I thought that worked. But then Wilfred and Didi, he probably either needs to be in that Winks role or not in the team at all. He's not an advanced number eight, really. I don't think he suits that sort of style. Um, he's certainly not an advanced number eight. Kieran Jewsby Hall absolutely suits that role perfectly. I do wonder if over time, and this sounds really daft given how highly rated Wilfred Ndidi was literally 18 months ago, but Dennis Pratt maybe comes into that right channel because we saw with the equaliser the quality he can possess and he can drift into wide areas as well. Um, Coventry in that first half, though, I thought were the the brighter team and certainly deserved their lead. Um, There was a few hairy moments with set pieces where Hermanson, the new goalkeeper, didn't cover himself in the most glory and you kind of felt if Coventry were going to get in front, it was either going to be from a set piece or from a, a transitional counter-attack and it was the former with lovely ball into the near post and um, it was McFadden who sort of crouched back from the goalkeeper, got the head it, header in and, and put Coventry 1-0 up and they were decent value for it and it kept Leicester at bay for much of that first half and, and up to the hour mark really. Yeah, definitely. This was the only one of the three games on Sunday that I was able to watch, unfortunately, and it, it was quite a good game. It was quite an entertaining contest. It was, you know, there was there was chance in the first half, quite a free flowing feeling to it, and then obviously, as you said, Coventry right at the start of the second half got their nose in front with McFadzine, and from that point onwards, Coventry were, were bound to expect obviously a little bit of bombardment from Leicester, but it didn't really arrive in the sense where Ben Wilson's goal was being absolutely peppered. And then obviously Enzo Maresca made a couple of changes. Ian Acho came on. It kind of stretched things a little bit. Um, and then obviously Leicester got the equaliser through Dewsbury Hall. Superb cross, superb header. And that just kind of raised the volume inside the stadium. It gave Leicester something, you know, to go after. And it, it was quite unfortunate, though, that they got that second goal because Coventry just minutes before obviously had that excellent chance. 
uh, with Hadji Wright when he broke free and the goalkeeper made a terrific save, tipping it onto the crossbar. And then obviously the follow-up went just wide. If that goal goes in, Coventry are probably sitting here today, you know, with three points to their name and started the season with a very impressive away victory. But of course, Leicester found a way. And when you've got individual quality like Dewsbury Hall has, you've always got a match winner in there. And that's ultimately at this level what he's going to be. We saw how good he is at this level when he was on loan at Luton a couple of seasons ago. And he's going to be very, very good at this level if Leicester can keep hold of him. And that is the task for them because there's going to be Premier League clubs sniffing. There's no doubt about it. We've got, what, three, four weeks left of the window, give or take. So there's going to be clubs sniffing around there. So Leicester, based on that victory on, on Sunday, the opening win for them, obviously a brilliant start for them. You know, new manager, new season, perfect to get off to a winning start. But the performance certainly wasn't one that merited sort of what you would expect from this Leicester team at this level. And of course, it's game one that, that you know, everything's still bedding in. It's, it will take several weeks. But it wasn't exactly a convincing, commanding victory by any stretch. Coventry played really, really well in a way that you'd expect Coventry to, most teams to go to the King Power and play this season on the counter-attack. And obviously Coventry with the, the likes of Sims and Hadji right up front, um, right obviously came off the bench. They're going to have the ability to stretch teams and that's exactly the way they tried to play it. They got the goal. And as I say, they were very, very close to going 2-1 up with the, <coughs> excuse me, with Hadji right and... Ultimately, that was the key moment in the game. The chance wasn't taken. It was very unfortunate. And Leicester, like you, like you said on Twitter, actually, immediately after the goal went in, it was that individual quality that was the difference between the two teams. But I don't think Mark Robbins can be too disheartened by his side performance. I thought they did really, really well. I thought Josh Eccles in particular had a really strong game at right wing back. And considering Milan Van Eywick is waiting in the wings to come in after his summer move to the club, that will have done his performance and his chance of retaining his place no harm at all. So... Plenty of positives for, for Mark Robbins and he'll probably a little feeling a little bit annoyed that his side haven't taken something from that game because let's be honest, getting a point away at Leicester opening day, that would have been a very, very good result. A point for anybody at the King Power Stadium this season is going to be seen as a very good result. So they'll be disappointed they didn't manage to get that. However, they can be pleased with their performance. But for Leicester, winning start, can't ask for any more. And, you know, Enzo Moresca is off to a flyer. Yeah, you're right. The, the, the sliding doors moment was that um, big chance for Hadji Wright. Great save by Hermanson, where if we were saying there were maybe a few doubts over his um, aerial commandment in the sort of first half. He certainly made up for it with, with ultimately a match deciding save. I really liked the look of Wright when he came on. I think he can definitely offer something different to Coventry's other forwards. Him and Sims could be a very good foil, I think. Um, but you're right, it came down good. to individual quality and, and Dewsbury Hall, brilliant finish for moments later for 2-1. For and I do think that Leicester probably will be able to keep hold of him having shed Madison and Barnes. I think he's one that's probably slightly too good for the championship, but are Premier League clubs going to want to pay 15, 20, 25 million pounds when you've got other midfielders at other clubs that we'll, we'll come on to that, that are playing in the championship that might be a little bit more of a, an obvious priority? Probably not. And he probably thinks, hmm, hang on, I could probably be star of the show here learn under a new manager and in 12 months time hopefully we'll be back in the Premier League anyway let's go to Friday night now George a game that we were both at Sheffield Wednesday 1 at Southampton 2 the Russell Martin era off to a winning start that first half performance was really really impressive from Saints wasn't it they, they absolutely played the Owls off the park they couldn't get anywhere near them they, they didn't really know how and when to press um, they, well they barely did press to be honest they just sat in a low block and let Southampton do what they wanted with the ball. Both fullbacks, interesting to see how they inverted with, with Carl Walker-Peters in particular, I thought was absolutely unbelievable. He was 
uh, there's so many. I think everyone sort of looked at that Southampton lineup when it came out and thought, bloody hell, this is. Let's see how many of these are here come September the second. But of all those performers, I thought Carl Walker Peters looked just head and shoulders above the rest. He was brilliant. Nathan Teller, any sort of worries about his future? Is he, has he got his head switched on? Is he uh, ready to go for Southampton? Brilliant strike. I know it's technically gone down as an Adam Armstrong goal, but so dangerous on either foot. Will Smallbone, really interesting seeing him as the deepest midfielder in that three with, with Alcaraz and Walprouse just advance. Completely different role to what we saw from him at Stoke, which was more as one of those attacking number eights, a bit of a goal scorer, really, someone that could arrive late in the box. But we saw a completely different side to his game, very much in the sort of Matt Grimes kind of mould as a deep-lying playmaker for Southampton. But as you probably could accuse a Russell Martin side of doing, they took the foot off the gas. Wednesday equalised, really good set-piece move. I offer heading down for Gregory to stick it into the back of the net. And Southampton didn't create buckets between Wednesday's equaliser and their winning goal, albeit they always looked dangerous. They always looked likely that they could fashion an opportunity. But the quality in the final third was lacking at times. But James Ward-Prowse, England international, lovely run off the back. Bannon doesn't track him. It's a great ball across. Good bit of subtle movement from Shardams and he strokes into the corner. And from then, Southampton managed the game really well. Wednesday didn't barely got a touch in the nine minutes that were added on. Really good early signs for Southampton, I have to say. And it reminded me a little bit of Burnley's performance at Huddersfield on the opening day of the weekend. Now, I'm not saying they're going to be as good as Burnley and go and romp the league. But also, not I, I mean that in a positive and a negative. It reminded me of them in the way they went and dominated Huddersfield last year. But equally, if we remember Burnley's start to the season, they dropped a lot of points from little lapses of concentration, not, not quite clicking, not putting the chances away. And Southampton, we almost saw a chasm of that where they were dominant, but they couldn't make that dominance count in the final third, couldn't quite get it to click and get those goals. And it nearly cost them two points. And I can sort of see that how Burnley were at the start of last season. And if it clicks, though, that could be really exciting. I felt really positive about Southampton coming away from that game. I think there could be some drop points in this early week, but give it six weeks or so. And I think once the window's short, once we know what squad Southampton will be working with, I could really see them being really, really strong under Russell Martin this season. Yeah, I think you've summed that up really well, perfectly, if I'm, if I'm honest, to be fair. And that is the big question I think you're going to ask about Southampton, isn't it? Is what are they going to have left come the 2nd of September? Because they've got so many Premier League quality, Premier League ready players in that team, and certainly in that 11 that started on on Friday night. And, you know, we didn't even see Romeo Lavia, for instance. He was on the bench. He didn't even kick a ball on Friday night. And obviously there's talk of him going to Liverpool and we'll see how that develops. But... You know, you saw so much star-studded talent on that pitch on, on Friday night at Hillsborough. And Teller was obviously one of the standouts. Walker Peters, I fully agree with. I thought he was excellent. Then obviously you got Adam Armstrong. Didn't really have his best game, but of course got his goal. Not that he knew much about it, but, you know, he, he got the goal. And, you know, it was Walker Peters that, like you, stood out for me. The way he tucked in from right back was really, really impressive. And Smallbone dictated the game so well. And, I, you know, we put a tweet out on the on the podcast page praising his performance. And a lot of people replied, well, he only passed it sideways and backwards. But for the Russell Martin way and keeping possession, he is tailor-made for it. He was absolutely superb, Will Smallbone. He had such a good game. Ward-Prowse obviously did what Ward-Prowse does. And, you know, it was a really good start for Russell Martin. And I actually warned people in the press room before the game. I said, 
for you know for people who aren't maybe as familiar with Championship football with Wednesday, haven't been in League One for a couple of years and not as clued up on it and follow it like we do. And I said, a Russell Martin team, I will warn you now, will dominate the ball like you've never seen before. But I did not expect it, anything like that. Four hundred percent was unique, wasn't it? It was it was men against boys the first half. And Wednesday obviously set up with that very low block. They didn't want to get out and press Southampton. And that is probably a pointer as well to, you know, the lack of quality Wednesday have got at the moment. Obviously, they are still in the process of trying to strengthen the squad and they've certainly bolstered it in areas compared to the last time we recorded this. So Wednesday, the thing, you know, for Wednesday it is looking a little bit more positive. But for Southampton, I think the the main takeaway on, on Friday night was just the fact that They've got so much quality for this level, but of course, how much of it is going to still be there by the end of the window. So a really good start for Russell Martin, a really good dominating performance, even though Wednesday, to be fair, in the second half, they did have a spell of pressure. They did, you know, they did. They, they did. prior to when Musaba came on, I thought. They did. Well, they gave like Southampton something to, create some to think about. But I think for Wednesday as well, I, I think, you know, for Wednesday on Friday night, yes, they were, for large portions of the game, they were outplayed. But it wasn't a case that I don't think they did an overlock wrong, really. They were just up against a team who was considerably better. It was, you know, technically. Wednesday had one new summer signing on the pitch, Juan Delgado. It was a Premier League side against a League One it's team, probably basically. Quite, quite encouraging the way that they developed second half because I think a lot of people have probably got concerns about Cisco Munoz tactically. And to be fair, he got it badly wrong in the first half, but he did change it and they were better in the second half. They were. They were definitely better. The goal settled them down a bit. And it gave them something to cling on to and something, you know, something to attack. And they did have little they did have little spells in possession where they did look quite threatening. Because let's let's be fair, as as dominative as Southampton were with the ball, they didn't really give Cameron Dawson an awful lot to think about. I really don't recall him making many saves at all. I only remember maybe a couple of Ward Prowse free kicks from the edge of the area that were easy claims for him. And that was all really. So I think Wednesday to a certain extent. Though obviously they were disappointed not to have got a point. And let's not forget, they were minutes away from getting what would have been a very, very good point to start the season. I don't think Chisco Munoz and his players can be you know, too disheartened with the way things went on Friday night. They were just up against a very, very good team. And the chances are, they're probably not going to come up against a, t- a team as good as that very often this season, maybe with the exception maybe of Leicester once they hit top gear. So I think for Wednesday's a gauge, they couldn't have really asked for, for what Wednesday got available to them, they couldn't have asked really for a harder start, to be fair, you know, up against a team that we knew was going to dominate the ball. It is the Russell Martin way. So I don't think Chisco Moon will be too worried. He needs, more, he needs more players. There's no doubt about that. More arrivals are required. Certainly need some some technical quality in midfield. They need certainly a bit of speed up front because with the way Wednesday were trying to hit Southampton on the break and with the long balls over the top, as much as Lee Gregory is a very reliable goal scorer, he's not going to stretch defences at the age of 34, 35. So a platform for Wednesday to build on, but for Southampton, you know, ideal start, three points, opening night, away from home, new era. It's just the start they needed. But now, obviously, uh, an interesting game this coming weekend at home to Norwich, I believe. So that'll be a decent test. Russell Martin's former club as a player. So we'll see where they go. But I think just a little concern for Southampton, though, I'm sure it'll click, is they may not be the most you know, potent in front of goal. They didn't create enough to suggest they're going to blow teams away this season, even though they'll blow them away in terms of possession. But they got the win. That's what matters. And, you know, a good start. Let's go very far south now. Let's go to home park, George. Plymouth back in the championship and a winning start in the second tier for Argyle, beating Huddersfield Town 3-1. We spoke in the 1-24s how important their home form was going to be. We highlighted Morgan Whitaker and Barley Mumba and how crucial it was that they got them back on permanent deals. 
And all three of those things came together for, for Plymouth to make the perfect start. I have to say, there's, there was obviously a lot of criticism or a lot of surprise that Plymouth had managed to sign both Whitaker and Mumba permanently of the clubs they left. I understand why Swansea sold Morgan Whitaker, if I'm being honest. He'd been there a while. He never really kicked on in the second half of last season. He didn't really suit Russell Martin's play, albeit, of course, Michael Duff's in charge now. The more bizarre one, I do not understand why Norwich have sold Barley Mumba because he's so versatile and we saw that at the weekend. Obviously, last season he predominantly played as a, a right or left wing back for Plymouth Argyle. Well, he played on the left wing here in a, in a more of a 4-4-2 sort of shape and he created havoc at every opportunity. Now, I do want to take nothing away from Plymouth Argyle, but the Huddersfield defending for the first goal and the second is absolutely shambolic. The first one... Lee Nichols sort of comes, stops, comes. He's got to come and claim that. It's a looping ball. The defender's never going to get a great distance on it, although I think Helix should have done much better. And then the second one is a, is a brilliant direct driving run from Mumba. Of course, it is brilliant skill, confidence. But what is that Huddersfield defence doing? It parts like the Red Sea. And then both centre-halves are two square on for the third goal where Ryan Hardy runs through and finishes it left-footed. Really, really positive from Plymouth. And Huddersfield had spells in the game, you know, at one all, they had a couple of half chances where they could have got themselves in front. But that defending was catastrophic. But take nothing away from Plymouth and Barley Mumber in particular because he ran the show. He was the best player on the pitch. And he's going to be a match winner for Plymouth, which they'll need particularly at home park. It couldn't have gone any better, could it? 13 years without a championship game. First game back, three goals, three points. It just... It was perfect for Stephen Schumacher's side. It really was. And to be fair, it was one of the results that I was least surprised about over the weekend. I've got to be honest. I, I really thought Plymouth would um, would win that game and they did. Yeah, you can talk about the state of the Huddersfield defending. It was it was a shambles. Let's be honest. The first goal was an absolute nightmare. The, the second was just, I, I have no idea what they were doing. Ballymumba literally had the freedom of home park to do what he did and goodness me did he finish it off well you know as much as you can criticize the Huddersfield defending he'd still got to make that run he'd still got to apply the finish and that's exactly what he did like like we saw last season with Plymouth their home form was just truly outstanding let's be honest and that's going to be the key for them this season I mean I've tipped them I think it was 15th in my 1-24s to I've got no reservations about them being relegated this season I'm really confident about them and I think on Saturday although of course they're going to face much much sterner tests than that one I think it's a you know it's sort of a benchmark of what they're going to try and do at home. They're going to attack teams. They're going to get at them. They're going to try and get the crowd behind them. And when you've got someone like Bally Mumba, who is a technically gifted match winner, you're going to be able to do it. Because I think, let's be fair, from what we've seen of Bally Mumba over the last 12 months, you know, his loan spell at Plymouth last season, we saw that there is a very, very exciting young player in there. And it's surprising, like you said, not only one that Norwich didn't, you know, fight harder to keep him seemingly, or, you know, sort of, and I don't mean this with any disrespect to Plymouth, the, the higher level championship clubs weren't knocking on the door for him because there is massive potential in there. He He's a really good player. And I, and I think back to last season, I watched, and I think it was about September, October time, Plymouth played Ipswich at home park. And obviously they, they were the top two in, by the end of the season. And Mumba scored in that game, as did Whitaker, And it was the best League One game I'd seen in a long, long time. The quality on show was superb. Mumba again that day ran the show. So no surprise to see what he did at the weekend. And obviously, you know, him, Whitaker on the score sheet. Whitaker's, yeah, a bit scruffy, but played a lovely pass for the third goal for Ryan Hardy, who took his goal really well. More questionable defending again. But that is what Plymouth are going to do. They're going to get in your face. They're going to attack you. They're going to make life hard for you at home. So we'll see how they get on the road. That is going to be the big task. 
But let's not forget this team, though, of course, they're playing a much, much better calibre of opposition this year. They racked up over 100 points last season. You don't do that if you've not got quality about you. And that's what we saw. I still think they need one or two more additions, certainly in forward areas. I think they need a better level of striker, though Ryan Hardy will get goals, I believe, at this level. But overall, I think Plymouth have got a really solid base. Whitaker, Mumba, tailor-made for the system Schumacher likes to play. And based on the performance of Mumba on, on Saturday, you've got to look at that and think that this kid is going to cause problems this season. He's going to get goals. He's going to get assists. He's so direct. He's hungry to you know create chances. What could you wish for more from a young player? You can see the energy is just oozing out of him. For Huddersfield, though, defensively, like you said, it was a car crash. It was an absolute shambles for the first and then the second goal. The third goal as well was, was questionable enough, but not quite as bad as the other two. But for, for Neil Warnock, you know, a manager of his experience, I'm sure he will sort it out. He'll, he'll not stand for that. We know that. At the same time, however, it's quite obvious this team needs reinforcements. They've only made one signing this summer in Tom Edwards. They desperately need bodies through the door. The clock is ticking. There is still time. But, you know, at the moment, I look at that Huddersfield team and I, I, do, I do raise questions about it. That's why I've tipped them to go down this season. So, you know, I can't go full in after one game. But certainly defensively, they've got standards to improve massively. And obviously next up on, on Saturday is Leicester City at home. And we all know the story of Huddersfield. Whoever plays them in their first home game goes on to win the title, as we've seen in the last two seasons. So let's see what happens. Maybe they'll pull out a shock at the weekend and get back on track. But I'm, I'm sure Neil Warnock will sort things out. But for Plymouth... It couldn't have gone any better, was not? Absolutely. Another win for one of the newly promoted sides, George, was Ipswich Town. They beat Sunderland 2-1 on Sunday. An action-packed evening treat on Sunday. And it was an interesting game. The momentum ebbed and flowed quite drastically. Sunderland started really well. They were the better side. Joe Bellingham making his full debut was really impressive in the number 10 role. Equa deeper in midfield, heavily involved. They should have had a penalty, in my opinion, for Denancian's tackle on, on Jack Clark in the box, and he drove down the, the left side. He clatters in the back of him. It's a penalty kick. Bellingham obviously missed a big chance at nil-nil as well. And having rode the storm a little bit in that first 20-25 minutes, I thought Ipswich grew into the game. They had a few moments where they won the ball back quite high, pressed well, got it from Sunderland and, and looked dangerous. And of course, there's a touch of fortune about the opening goal. It's a, a strike from Leif Davis from the edge of the box that's going well wide. But Broadhead, if you watch his movement, he does gamble. He does make that run across the defender, hoping that that will come. It's good opportunism and he puts it in the back of the net for 1-0. And then it's a lovely weight of pass as well for George Hurst, who fired in his first championship goal. I'm intrigued to see how Hurst does. Obviously, he had a pretty poor loan spell with Blackburn Rovers last year, but I had sympathy for him because he never really got a run of games. He didn't have a pre-season either because of a couple of injuries and niggles. He's the sort of player that I think when he's up and running and when he's sharp could be a real asset at championship level because he's six foot four, but he's not a target man at all. He's someone that is dynamic, that can run the channels, that has got athleticism. And I do think he could be a problem for a lot of championship defences if he stays fit, if he's got a manager, which he does at the moment in Kieran McKenna, who wants to pick him every game, who wants to put his arm around his shoulder and give him that run of games and that opportunity. I think he can score goals in the Championship. And I thought that last year, but he never got that at Blackburn under Yondal Thomason. Sunderland did have chances, obviously made it 2-1 with Dan Neil turning in late on. And then 13 minutes of stoppage time, Neil hitting the post with a, a shot that flicks off the foot of the goalkeeper and, and comes off the post. 
silly yellow card as well, second yellow for for Trey Hume. I, I thought Mowbray seemed to think it wasn't a yellow and that um, that it was a dive, but I thought it was a, a second yellow card. To be honest, it was clumsy. But Sunderland, I thought, rallied quite well once they made it two one. You know, they did really throw the kitchen sink at Ipswich, and I think it's a game that could have been a, could have been different. I think Sunderland could have won it had they, you know, if they'd scored the opening goal. I think they probably go on to win the game, but. Championship's so tight this year in particular. There's going to be so many evenly matched teams if you don't take your chances at the crucial moment or get a bit of fortune with refereeing decisions, then the opposition will make you punish. So it will punish you and, and make you pay. So really good start for Ipswich. Sunderland, I think, can probably feel a little bit, not aggrieved, but I think on another day with a little bit more clinical finishing, maybe one or two different decisions, they, they probably could have won that game as well. Really, really good contest to watch on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the highlights of this game. I wasn't able to watch it because I was I was tied up with work on at that time on Sunday evening, so I wasn't able to watch any of the game. But I've seen the highlights and you know the, the, the clips of the goals and things, and certainly Flips, which is second, George Hurst, a beautifully taken finish. It must be said, and you took the words right out of my mouth. What I was going to say about him with Kieran McKenna. Kieran McKenna clearly values him a lot. He had him on loan last season. He got a tune out of him towards the end of the League One campaign. He started to score more frequently. Obviously, they bought him now from Leicester permanently. And he clearly values him as, you know, he's, he's leading striker at the moment. But obviously, there's been rumours over the weekend that Ipswich are going to try and get Adam Armstrong from Southampton, which would be a massive statement of intent. But at the moment, you know, he's doing himself no harm up and running on match day one. Connor Chaplin plays obviously just in behind, brought it out wide on the left. You'd normally associate both of, they, both of those players as number nines. But, you know, Kieran McKenna sees them differently. So at the minute, Hurst has got a free run at that role. And he, he took his chance at the weekend. Lovely goal, obviously. Broadhead, a potent finish for his goal. But like you said there... Um, Sunderland on another day probably could have got at least a point out of that game. Joe Bellingham should have given them the lead in the opening exchanges. You know, that was a guilt edge opportunity he should have taken and he knew it. But obviously, the red card, they hit the post late on. So on another day, it could have gone a different way. No doubt about it. But for Ipswich, nevertheless, it's a, it's a fabulous start. To go to a team that obviously was in the in the playoffs last, last season, a very difficult first game, first play... You know, Stadium of Light, difficult first place to go. They went there, got three points. And what a start that is. You you know, it's one of the hardest grounds to visit in the Championship on paper. And Ipswich, they went there, they got the win by hook or by crook. They found a way. So, for Kieran McKenna, really impressive start. Joining, obviously, Plymouth in making a winning start. And I think as well for Ipswich now, you, what you've got to remember is, obviously, there's been, there's been quite a bit of debate, hasn't there, about Ipswich with people's predictions this summer. A lot of them, you know, seen them as a shoe-in for the top six. Some have even tipped them for the top two. I can't remember where you... Did you have them about 11th place? I think I had them in ninth this coming season, which, you know, would be a very respectable first campaign. Like 10th, 11th? Something yeah. like that. It was around that point, wasn't it? But I think, you know, to go to a place like Sunderland, it lays down a mark. And let's not forget Ipswich now. Though, of course, it's a new season, and, you know, you can talk about last season as much as you want. It's in the past. But the, the fact of the matter is, this Ipswich side now, I think is 20 league games unbeaten, you know, dating back to February. It's a remarkable run that they're on. And they're just going to want to keep that feel-good factor going. Obviously, there's huge energy around the club following that promotion. The fans idolise Kieran McKenna. There's a you know a real likable way to the style of play. The fans are in you know they've got a really good relationship with the players. The, the connections there. So I think Ipswich have got what it takes this season to to mount a stable first season. I'm not saying that they're going to go and romp into the top six. They could well do, but personally, I think there's better better quality than them as things stand. But let's see what they do. And I think, you know, if they did get a top 10 finish, it'd be a fabulous achievement in a first season back in the second tier. But, you know, looking at Sunday's game isolated and isolated alone, a very, very good start. To go to a place like Sunderland and win, 
You can't ask for any more than that. Two goals, three points. They'll probably be a little bit disappointed. They didn't get a clean sheet in the end with the way, you know, with how it went. But George Hurst, I think the big talking point from that game, most of all, excellent goal, excellent finish. And for him now, I think the challenge is to see how he kicks on because the talk of Adam Armstrong coming in, which to be fair, personally, if I was Southampton, I'd be fighting tooth and nail to keep hold of him because we know what he can do at this level. And with the players he's got around him, he should score a lot of goals. However, if Ipswich say, do get him in, if rumours are to be believed, I think, you know, he immediately ousts George Hurst on that 11 on paper. But if Hurst can keep this up and, and kick on in the, you know, the next few weeks, the first few weeks of the season, let's see what happens. But for Ipswich, for Kieran McKenna, what a start. They couldn't have asked for any more. Top of the league are oh, Watford, George. They beat Queen's Park Rangers 4-0 after a first-half blitz. Interesting, and Valerie Ismail made this quite pointed, made this quite a big point post-match. No new signings in the Watford team. And I say that in the sense of Ismail was trying to say, look look what this team can do with the right mentality. It helps when you're playing a shambolic Queen's Park Rangers defence, it should be said. Tom Delibashiri scoring with inside a minute, set the tone. Lovely pass by Imran Loser, who was brilliant in flashes last season. He's got the number 10 on his back this season. And if he can be a little bit more lucky with injuries, I think he definitely will be one of the best midfielders in the league. Cultured left foot, capable of playing as a deeper midfielder or, or higher up the pitch as a sort of more number 10. And he curled in the second with, with a great cultured finish. And as I say, Valerian Ismail made the point post-match about the players, the mindset, and having shed Ismail Asar, having shed João Pedro... Maybe this makes them more of a team, in inverted commas. Maybe they will be less reliant on individual quality. And maybe that will make them a little bit more hungry. And I don't say that as a detraction on Sara or Pedro. Uh, I think it's natural when you've got such obvious stars in your team to for other players to maybe regress a little bit or, or go into the shadows and try and overly feed those players. But maybe we'll see a Watford side that's a little bit more coherent, a little bit more unified. Um, the style of play was not quite as direct as we've seen from Ismail before. I think that's worth noting. And I think that will obviously help bring out the best in someone like Loser who wants the ball to feet, wants to be on the ball. Really, really, really impressive display from Watford. QPR, it has to be said, some of the defending was desperate. Um, some of it was shambolic, really short quality. Injuries not helping at centre-half, but they need real, real serious reinforcements if they're gonna if they're going to try and stay up this season and, and prove... Pretty much every one to twenty-four I've seen has got Queen's Park Rangers in the bottom three in some shape or, or description, and we both had them rock bottom. So, I have to say, I've you got to fear the worst based on the first opening day. Of course, that is not definitive; we can't draw conclusions, but it certainly didn't do much to deter me from thinking it's going to be a tough old season for them. But for Watford, a really, really positive start, really encouraging. Just look more like a team, and I think that's what Ismail, the point he was trying to make post-match and he'll be hoping to breed that mentality more and more and obviously results and goals help help get players to buy in and, and help to breed that yeah I mean relegation favourites concede 33 seconds into the season it kind of backs up suggestions doesn't it shall we say let's get the negative out of the way first before we talk about what for QPR yeah they, they were a mess they were an absolute shambles in that first half and Watford are probably kicking themselves. They didn't add to their tally in the in the second half, to be fair, and ramp up a bit of a cricket score. So QPR, I mean, Gareth Ainsworth came out and said in the second half that he was really, really pleased with the performance. I don't really think it could have been any worse, could it? Having gone 4-0 down by half-time in the first game of the season, they just look an absolute disaster. They haven't got the players to play in the way that he wants to play. And the problem is, these players, for the way he wants them to play, 
the players he's got are capable of so much more. The likes of Chair, Willock, who I think came on late in the game. These are technical footballers. They don't want to have the ball hoofed up to the head 30, 40, 50 yards up the pitch. So QPR, where they go from here, I'm, I'm really not sure because they're away again at this coming weekend because obviously the game was reversed, wasn't it? It was supposed to be at Loftus Road, that opening game. So QPR away again this coming weekend. I think at Cardiff, which won't be easy. And we'll talk about Cardiff shortly, I'm sure. But for Watford, I agree with everything you said. The losses over the summer of Pedro and, and Saar, obviously, you know, they, they were they were key players to lose, particularly, I think, after last season as well, Pedro, because I think he is really looking like a well-rounded, intelligent, promising footballer now. And I think going to Brighton is the perfect move for him because you're not Brighton alike for developing players. Saar didn't quite hit the high notes last season compared to what we've, you know, we've seen in the past. So maybe not as big a loss, but obviously a, a brilliant footballer on his day. But you make a very good point about they look more well-rounded as a team and, you know, they, they seem to be, obviously when you're winning 4-0, you go into any of it, but they seem to be playing with smiles on faces that we didn't necessarily see at Watford last season. And yeah, it's only game one. They were playing against a very, very poor team. But it's a good starting point. Let's not forget that. It's a very good starting point. They played some really nice on the front football. And when you get a goal so early on, it's going to set the tone. Delhi Bashiri was weaving his magic in that midfield. As you said there, loser was really good. Bayo got his goal. Uh, Mateus Martins looked really promising, got his goal as well. So they just looked really well-rounded. And reading the comments from Watford fans who'd been at Vicarage Road on, on Saturday, they were saying that they'd not been as entertained by a Watford team as that in a long, long time with 100% commitment from everybody. And I think that's what was missing last season with Watford because Chris Wilder came in and he kind of kind of played down the chances almost, didn't he? He, he kind of wrote the players off. And it almost felt like it was it was just not going to work out. And obviously it didn't because they finished mid-table in the end. So it feels like a fresh start. Ismail, as we saw at Barnsley, a very capable manager at this level. He's capable of getting the very best out of players. I think that's a key thing to say because he did that very well at Barnsley. Started off well at West Brom, then obviously tailed off. So I think for Watford, it feels like a bit of a restart, both in the dugout and on the pitch as well, with having sold their two main assets, obviously in... Pedro and Sarth, they've departed now, as we've said. So it kind of gives everyone else a bit more of a new lease of life to go out there and say, right, Gaff, I think I'm going to go and play my stuff now and show you what I've got. So personally, for Watford, very impressive. Ismail will be pleased with how it went. But the interesting thing about Watford is they've got to prove it on a regular basis. That's the thing for them. Obviously, they've done it against, as I say, a very poor QPR side. What are they going to be like against the better teams in this division? That would be interesting because they've certainly got the flair and the creativity to do it. So I think this coming weekend's game against Plymouth at Vicarage Road, another home game for Watford, I think that'll be quite a good test because Plymouth are going to go there. They're probably not going to open up as expansively as they did against Huddersfield, but they've got the pace to do damage on the counter-attack with Mumba and Whitaker and all the kinds of options in four areas like Hardy, for example. So be interesting to see how that game goes. But for Watford, superb start and it feels like a, a new era, a new lease of life and hopefully something a bit better and a bit more vibrant. Because Watford last season, they were they just kind of chugged along a little, like they were content with what was happening when they are capable of more. So let's see what happens. But for Valerie Isabel, what a start. Stoke City 4, Rotherham United 1. They were the other big winners, were Stoke with four goals at home. Lovely finish from Kijana Hoover. We saw a few of those, two against Blackburn, in fact, um, at the back end of last season. That got them underway. And a, a brace from Andre, Andre Vigial. Vidigal? I think that's the best Vigidal? way to Vidigal? I don't Vidigal. know. He looked quite good, whatever his name is. Excited <laughs> to really get 
a look at him. 24-year-old winger, signed from Martimo. Um, very direct, very bright, quick, skillful, and he caused a lot of issues. You know, I think for Stoke, they've been so reliant on playing down their sort of right-hand side and probably the burden of creativity on Tyrese Campbell has probably been a little bit too much at times. Well, Campbell wasn't even in the matchday squad on um, Saturday due to injury. And they look more balanced for it. They've obviously got uh, Jacob Brown playing down the right-hand side, um, Vidigal playing down the left. And he caused them a lot of problems. Really nice finishes for the goals. Um, and obviously Brown tucking one in at the back post for the fourth. I want to make you feel really old now, George. You ready? Go on. Sol Sidibe became the youngest player to make a league appearance for Stoke City, aged 16 and 176 days. His father is? Mamadi. Correct. Mamadi Sidibe. What, what a man. Remember him at Wednesday a few years ago. His goal away at Bolton on Boxing Day in 2012, I want to say. Mamadi Sidibe and his star jumps when he went up for a header. Superb. Really good start for Stoke. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Very good start for Stoke. And it, it kind of ruined my accumulator because I had a sneaky feeling that Rotherham would go there and win, but it didn't quite work out, did it? Nine to one, it was quite a tempting price. So, yeah, it didn't. But uh, they weren't the only ones who let me down over the weekend. But, um, yeah, for Stoke, a really good start. And Stoke's home record last season was a major, major problem, wasn't it? Their, their record at the Bet365 was abysmal, to say the very least. I think they only won six home games in the league last season. I haven't got the exact numbers to hand, but I'm pretty sure from memory it was six. So a good start. Uh, again, playing one of the, the weaker sides in the division. By all accounts, Rotherham were car crash in the first half. And let's not forget, two of those three goals in the first half arrived in, in the added time. So if that had not been there, Rotherham might have you know gone into the break 1-0 down and had something to come out in the second half really worth fighting for, but it didn't quite work that way. Quite impressed by Vidigal. He looks a real live wire. And I think Stoke, even though they've always had Flair players in forward areas like Tyrese Campbell, Nick Powell when he was fit, which obviously wasn't very often. They've had technicality in that, that forward areas of the pitch, Jacob Brown as well. Vidigal seems like a bit of a, a you know, almost like a bit of a, a freshness into that Stoke City team. Something different, who's going to run with the ball. He's, he looks an exciting player. And I think Stoke have been missing that. Someone who can really carry the ball, who's got an eye for goal, and he proved that at the weekend. Keanu Hoover... What what a goal that was, by the way. That that for me was goal of the weekend. That was absolutely sublime for a right back to take that on and find the back of the net. So, superb. And think back to last season, one of the games. Well, you were there, actually. It was Stoke versus Blackburn, wasn't it, on a Friday night when Stoke won 3-2 and Keanu Hoover scored a double in that first half. And about five days later, he went to Middlesbrough and also scored in what was a really another good Stoke performance. So they've done well to get him back. He'll be a key player for them this season. So a perfect start. Jacob Brown on the score sheet right at the death as well. So I think the challenge for Alex Neal is now is, is this a sort of level of performance Stoke going to be able to maintain and they're going to be able to blow teams away? They only scored four at home once in the whole of last season. So they've equaled that tally already by match day one. So that's a positive. So I think the challenge for Stoke now is that can they can they build and they've obviously brought in quite a high number of new players over the summer. Quite a decent blend as well. Yeah. Eight, eight players, eight of those, albeit some returning like Hoover, like Ben Pearson, eight of those were in the starting 11 on Saturday. And that just shows that Stoke they needed a, lot of a reset. It could be quite easy for that to have been a bit of a disjointed performance, but yeah, Alex and they Neal went out there and chucked them in, and, and they gelled. 
Yeah, that was the thing. It, it clicked instantly, and that—that's a manager's dream. That because we always say, don't we, with any team that brings in, a, you know, a high intake of summer signings, you've always want to give it sort of ten games to to bed in and get used to each other for it to gel. Stoke clicked in in an instant. Admittedly, as I said, Rotherham were a car crash defensively in that first half. They were really, really were a shambles, and that obviously helps. But you've still got to go out there and do your job, and Stoke did exactly that. So I think the challenge for them now is can they maintain sort of a similar level of performance against better calibre of opposition? That's the challenge. For Rotherham, of course, it couldn't have been any worse. Really disastrous start to the campaign. And I suppose, even though it's only match day one, again, I say keep saying that, it's going to raise questions, isn't it, about what are they going to be capable of doing away from home this season? They obviously are very reliant on their home form. They were last season. They have been most times they've been in the Championship. So the challenge for, for for Matt Taylor is, can he find a way of spark to get this Rotherham team playing on the road? I think they, they need more need more quality in forward areas to do that, to be able to hit teams on the counter-attack, carry a threat. They need more technical players in that team. At the same time, however, you can bank on them at home to pull out a result nine times out of ten. They will find something, even if it's only a draw, they will get something. So we know what the problem is for, for, Stokes, for Rotherham United. <coughs> Excuse me. It's likely to be the same problem again this season as it was last in terms of struggling on the road. But we'll see what happens. But for Stoke, perfect start. And I must say, Vidigal, Hoover, very, very impressive. We're going to go and talk about some exciting youngsters now, George, in the next couple of games, or the next three games to round off the weekend. We're going to start at the Riverside Stadium, Middlesbrough nil, Millwall 1. Two teams probably in, in different fettle in the transfer market. Millwall looking quite settled, looking... You know, the starting eleven came out and it was pretty much what I was, I was expecting, minus one or two players here and there. Middlesbrough, a lot of work to do still in the window. I, I'm feeling a little bit uneasy one week on about my top two prediction, particularly having watched Southampton play the way that they did on Friday night. But feels like a lot of work to do with that, that Middlesbrough. Things can change very quickly. Sorry? Things can change very quickly. Don't start ripping predictions up after one game. Forward. They, they were quite one-dimensional at times without Chubrak Pom, who was on the bench. Talk of interest from Sheffield United. He's obviously had an injury in pre-season, got one year left on his deal. But the the real moment of quality in the game came from Millwall and from two youngsters, Adamo Emoku, down the left-hand side. He signed from Shamrock Rovers in January for the under-23s team. And obviously, he's, he's done well in pre-season. Gary Rout giving him an opportunity, burst down the left. And then her name was slightly more familiar with Romain Esse curling the ball into the top corner. We saw little flashes of him last season wearing the number 40 shirt on his back. He's got an upgrade now. Millwall fans really excited about him and it feels like he's ready to have a real breakthrough season for this Millwall side. He's got something different to the other forwards. He's got some genuine pace, a low centre of gravity, a fearlessness alongside the likes of Fleming, Bradshaw, uh, Nisbet who started up front, what more. He's something a little bit different. Brilliant finish on his left foot, weaker left foot to curl into the top corner. And I'm really excited to see how he continues to progress. Only 18 and it could be a real breakthrough season for him. Really good win for Mill. It's one I saw coming, if I'm being honest. It was my shock on the podcast because although I think Middlesbrough will do well this season, Mill will a lot more settled. You can see, I could see them having a good start, if I'm being honest, because most of their business is done. They've not lost anyone. They've added in key areas they needed to add to. So they're a lot more settled right now and a real statement victory on opening day for them. Very much so. I mean, what what a win to get. To go to Borough, obviously, you missed out in the playoffs last season. We're very, very good at home under Michael Carrick. Let's not forget their home form was very impressive. 
But like you say, even though Borough have made quite a few signings this summer, it does feel like they're almost lagging behind a little bit. The signings, though quite a few of them have, have come in from overseas, a lot of them are unknown quantities and it's hard to pass a judgment on them. They don't sort of fill you with massive confidence in the sort of signings you'd expect a promotion chasing team to go for. So I'm, I wasn't surprised really by Millwall going there and getting a win. Like you say, Millwall look quite settled at the minute. They seem to have got the house in order quite early in the in the in the summer. And essay in terms of the goal scorer, you've raised a good point there about him being something very different to Millwall's other attackers. It's very very true because you usually associate Millwall with sort of a physical side. They're going to bully you. They're going to make life hard for you. They're going to be nasty in your face. And not really got an awful lot of flair on the ball, except for for Zian Fleming. Sa has got all of that. He's he, he's clearly a very promising player. Got you know pace to burn, and the way he took his goal was was effortless. It was such a lovely finish. Another really really good goal that we saw on opening weekend. And if Millwall can get a tune out of him consistently, who knows what player he could grow on to become? I mean, you look at him and you think this kid looks quite an exciting prospect. Obviously, he's got to prove it regularly. He's got to. You know, He's almost, in a way, he's one of these players you've got to nurture and look after. You don't want it to go to his head and quite I think quickly. Did quite a good job of that last season because I think there was yeah. opportunities, particularly where the fans wanted to, to see more of him, wanted him to be chucked in, and Rowett was quite patient and almost a bit stubborn at times to say, "No, we need to look after him," and, and maybe he's ready to let him off the leash a little bit more this year. Quite possibly, and I think Millwall, obviously, having come clo- so close last season and missing out on that dramatic final day to get into the top six, they're going to have the expectation of going again this year that they are going to expect to get into that top six. And I've tipped them to finish fifth on my, my pre-season league table. I think they've got it in them. I think they've got enough quality on in within that team. They've got enough fight and enough experience. They've got a really nice blend, I feel. I still think they maybe need one or two more signings in some areas, which I think will come. Once Premier League clubs select their squads and younger players become available for low moves, we might see some movement in that you know on that side of the situation. So let's see, but as, as starts go, an opening day win away from home, clean sheet against one of the favourites promotion, it's a, it's a benchmark. And Millwall have a tendency year after year to start the season, certainly an opening day, really, really strong. I think they're unbeaten now in six opening day fixtures in a row. So that was certainly something I looked at and thought they've got a bit of a history for you know opening day games getting off to a really good start. So let's see how they progress from here. But in terms of a first game... You couldn't ask for any more. It's the perfect start. Clean sheet on the road, 1-0. Job done, three points in the bag. Blackman Rovers got off to the perfect start as well, George. They beat West Brom 2-1 with two quick-fire goals from Dylan Marconde and Harry Leonard to get the victory. Both players making their first championship starts, both scoring their first championship goals. Harry Leonard definitely one to watch for those not around uh, or a little bit less aware of the, the, the academy scene at Blackburn. Only 19, but a really good line leading striker he's mobile can play in the channels but he's really good with his back to, to play I wouldn't say he's a target man at all but he's really good and quite more physical than you'd expect for a, for a young lad his age he's not particularly built um, stocky or anything like that but holds the ball really well links play nicely and can run the channels as well and score goals importantly he's done really well at age groups could have maybe should have had another goal um, certainly a big chance in the second half, which he dragged just wide, but he took the goal he did score really well with a with a strong finish at the near post past Alex Palmer. There was a lot of calls at the back end of last season for um, Leonard to get more of a run with obviously Gallagher out injured towards the back end, Rovers missing goals. Thomason didn't feel he was ready to start, although he came on a couple of times. So a big leap of faith from him to say, 
you've impressed me in pre-season, you've worked longer in and around the first team, we're ready to give you an opportunity. And he took that with a really good performance, a really good goal. The same could be saying too for Dylan Marconde, who was another player that fans wanted to see a little bit more of last season. Didn't really get that opportunity in the league, although he did well in the cup competitions. Got loaned out in January to Aberdeen, which went horribly wrong. He played about 13 minutes of football because of uh, Aberdeen playing wing-back system in being a, a direct winger, certainly not a wing-back. Again, done well in pre-season, really cultured left foot, came through the Tottenham Academy, was signed under Tony Mowbray and, and then got a horrific hamstring injury. So he's his Blackburn career, sort of 18 months, has been uh, set back by injuries and, and by you know trying to adapt to a new way of playing under Yondal Thomason. But we know with Thomas, and if you impress, there's no such thing as someone out of favour, really. You can be out of favour one minute and then back in the next. And certainly with Mark Conde, he took that opportunity. And for Leonard, whilst Rovers haven't got another number nine, Gallagher's expected to be fit probably for the midweek game. Maybe he'll play. Certainly will be available for next weekend. If he's scoring goals, he's another young player that Rovers can hopefully get a tune out of. The average age on Saturday was under 24. Certainly the bench, if you put that in as well, absolutely uh, chock-a-block with young academy talent. That's gonna the way it's going to have to be at the moment whilst the uh, the ownership issues with the with funding is, is ongoing. So, good start for Blackburn. Helps lift a little bit of the doom and the, the concern around Ewood Park. Young academy players and Mark Hande doing the business and a really good victory over West Brom. Yeah, for, for all of the off-field issues that are currently rumbling on at Rovers, and of course you know more than me on that score, I wasn't at all surprised by this result. I did back Blackburn to win on Saturday. I was quite confident about it as well. They're another team like Millwall that seem to get off to a good start in seasons recently, in recent years. Um, I'll be honest, Harry Leonard, it was, an, it was a new name to me. It was, it was a very new name to me. I'd never heard of him until the weekend. And what, what a finish it was for the young man. He took it so, so well. Questionable finishing in the second half, but you can't begrudge him that. He's a youngster. He's learning his trade. I like that but, he came off and said to Thomason said to him that he played well and he came off and, and immediately said, Yeah, I should have scored a hat trick. Yeah. He he probably could have done. He probably could have done, yeah, but we'll forgive him. He's a young lad. He, he's learning and he'll get better and better with age. However, I thought Blackburn, from what from what I saw, the clips I've seen, I thought they looked quite good. They played some on the front football. West Brom, the defending at times was was questionable, certainly immediately after Blackburn's first goal, obviously they parted party company, party sees immediately for the, for the second for Mark Kande to score, who, like Leonard, took his goal really well. Blackburn should have added to their tally the second half. Matt Phillips, at the other end, took his goal ever so well. And West Brom, they did, they did have chances, didn't they? They did create a little bit better in the second half. And Corbran, he, he kind of got more, more of a tune out of his players that we used to see in the way that West Brom played under him last season. For Rovers, though... They should have had more. There's no denying that. And it underlines the the ambition of getting a striker in, an experienced number nine that they, they're desperate for. And we know that. But of course, the financial issues they're facing will dictate. But as starts go, like I've said for other teams, it's a really promising, encouraging beginning. Rovers fans, you could sense they got behind the team at the weekend. It seemed like quite a good atmosphere in the videos I've seen. Obviously, there's been a lot of uncertainty, hasn't it, in the last two, three weeks about Yondal Thomason's future at the club. But you, sure, you saw a real release of his passion, I thought, the full-time whistle, what it meant to him. And I know you've said to me, if he's days, Rovers have got a really good manager there because he's built a lot in the last 12 months with a very young squad. And for me, I think that the potential is there for Whiteburn. There's maybe one or two more experienced heads in the summer to come in. If they can get business done, we'll, we'll obviously see on that. 
they've got potential to flourish again. I think it's certainly there. Got them for like top end mid table in my predictions. I think you the same. But could they mount a playoff push? It's certainly not impossible. We know with this league, it's wide open. Anybody can do anything. It's going to be difficult. I think there are better teams than them. Certainly at this juncture, there are squads better built. Better squads, that's for sure. Yondal Thomason is a manager that can, as we saw last year with several young cities, can develop players. And could Harry Leonard be the next (coughs) member? Excuse me. Could Harry Leonard be the next player on that list? We'll see. But it's one game in. You don't want to get too carried away, but it's three points on the board. And maybe it's the beginning of a, a promising season for a young striker who might have a point to prove. So let's see how things go. But for Blackburn, three points. Game one, job done. Norwich City 2, Hull City 1 to round, round us off. Norwich's first win at Carrow Road since February, George. Came from behind, nicked it in late fashion. Um, <laughs> a bit of kamikaze defending beforehand. Duffy and Gibson getting themselves in a right tangle, which allowed Liam Delap to run through him. Pounce, fire into the roof of the net. Brilliant, brilliant goal from youngster Jonathan Rowe. Another young name for us to keep tabs on this season. Hopefully a breakthrough season for him. Great driving run, curled into the top corner on his left foot. And then a name we're slightly more familiar from the Norwich Academy, Adam Eder, who's had really feels like this needs to be a good season for him. He's had a couple of years where I've been waiting for him to kick on. He's had injuries. He's not quite found the form and momentum he needs. Um, but a poaching effort late into stoppage time. Liam Rossini sent off for his reaction felt that the set piece should never have been given in the first place strange new rule that managers that are sent off not allowed to do any sort of post media um interviews whether that's with the club media or whether that's with external media which is a very strange rule for me i don't really understand who that serves probably the managers because it means they won't get fined for saying things that they shouldn't say but a good start for david wagner you feel like norwich very much a club at the moment that if they don't get to off to a great start, could get toxic quite quickly. A bit of uncertainty about what the expectations should be this season. So to come from behind, having given away a pretty sloppy goal, really, really good for them. And, and to see another young academy talent getting uh, a really good goal to, to get them level. Yeah, Jonathan Rowe looks quite good, doesn't he? He really does look quite promising from that performance at the weekend. I mean, the goal was exceptional enough, but his overall performance, his driving runs from deep, he looks like he's got the potential to be a big part of David Wagner's plans this season. And Norwich, although obviously we've seen the quality last season, such as Gabriel Saar in the middle, it almost feels like they need more flair players. They need someone else. They need an injection of energy because we we mentioned last week on the 1-24s, their recruitment, even though I could see sense to the side of bringing in some experienced heads who have been there, done it, got the T-shirt, such as Ashley Barnes, and Shane Duffy, that injection of pace and flair could be really beneficial for David Wagner and the way he likes to play his football. So I think for Norwich, really important they got off to a winning start. Obviously, their Carrow Road record, as you mentioned there, at the end of last season was disastrous. It was absolutely appalling. They lost on the final day of the season to Blackpool, which kind of, it just did hammer home just how bad it was. Bearing in mind, Blackpool went there already relegated. So I think it's it's a new dawn at Norwich. David Wagner's had his first full pre-season there. It marks the beginning, of, technically, of a new era from the from the outset of a campaign. So let's see what happens because I think Norwich are a team this year that genuinely could knock on the door of the top six, or could have a, a steady season and finish something like fifteenth, which, for what the Norwich fans expect, will not be acceptable. I think that's where Norwich are at. They genuinely could do something really, really good or really, really poor. So let's see where they're at. Obviously, it's a good start to come from behind, win it very, very late, and. I know, 
you notice the, the the emotion of the fans right at the very end. It almost like they scored a goal to get promotion. There was such a the, the limbs, if you like, well, in the, you don't see your team win at home. I know them. that's the thing. The the limbs, if you like, in the in the stand behind the goal where Adam Eder scored right at the very very end. That that kind of emphasised just how important that was to get off to a winning start. You always want to get off to a winning start, particularly when you're at home in your first home game. Hull City, they'll be kicking themselves that they didn't get that win. They'll be um, really disappointed. So, you know, having led. Liam Delap, though, for him, that's a positive. You've got to look on the positives for Hull City after game one. He'll be pleased to have scored on, on you know, up and running in, on his debut. But I think for Norwich, it almost feels like the, maybe the, the outbreak of Jonathan Rowe could be quite interesting to watch this season because there, there was a player, even though it's only one game and one game only, I think we've all got that ability as football fans, people who love the sport, of a case of when you see a young player and they catch your eye in such a way and you think, yeah, they are going to do something. And that's the feeling I got from the, the little bits I saw of Jonathan Rowe on, on, on Saturday. He looks very, very lively, very confident, and his goal proved that. So let's see what, how, how Norwich take care of him and develop him. But perfect start for the Canaries. Just what Free. they needed as well with that home record from last season. Yeah, absolutely. Three draws in the Championship. Without doubt, the most eye-catching was at Ellen Road. Leeds United 2, Cardiff 2, a late equaliser from Somerville getting them a point, having Lee and Cooper half the deficit. Lee's really good, I thought, going forward. So, so poor defensively. And I think that will be the big task for Daniel Farker to see how quickly he can turn that around. I thought they looked bright in spells. They looked dangerous in the final third, but at the back, really, really poor. Um, Cardiff, I liked what I saw. Goals from Bowler and Ugbo. A good start to score two at Ellen Road when we know goals were the big problem last year. A point was probably a fair result because Leeds were the better side, second half in particular. And remember the name Archie Gray, 17 years old, bossing it in midfield, the grandson of Eddie Gray, Leeds United legend. Um, and he was really, really impressive. And he's been one that's been bubbling around in the youth academy for a while now that that you know coaches and, and people around Ellen Road have been really excited about. This could be the perfect season. It could be the perfect manager. We know Daniel Fark with the way he developed talent at Norwich. He, Archie Gray could be the next one off the conveyor belt at Leeds United. Bristol City won, Preston North End won. Um, a late Will Keane goal, getting a point for Ryan Lowe's side to cancel out a strike from Sam Bell. And then Swansea won, Birmingham won. Two debutants on the score sheet. So Ricky Dembele pouncing on a mistake from Carl Rushworth. And then Jerry Yates finding the net from a, a good flowing move. Early steps for both of those clubs in what feels like a new revolution. And that rounds off this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and you'll get the latest episode from us every single week. Follow us on Twitter at ChampChatPod24 to stay up to date on all the latest Championship news. A huge thanks, as always, again to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Go and check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed opening weekend and we'll catch you again next Monday for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.